0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and talk with a battery specialist, you need to do that because these guys are very knowledgeable about every kind of battery, hence the name Interstate Batteries, from your truck to your trail camera to your rangefinder. Any battery that you need, these guys can help you find. Even if it's a specific, unique, one-off battery, these guys can help you find what you need. If you want to find out more information on Interstate Batteries, about their brand, about their history, about the company in general, and all the batteries they offer, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your
1: number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right. Oh, hold on. Snap, crackle I don't know pop. I not hear
2: that. Um, we didn't have enough pine in there for that popping. Yeah. But back at Land Legacy podcast, um, new addition to the studio. <laughs> uh,
1: a, fi- a fire. <laughs> who knew that a fire and a campfire. You redlined us right out really. of the gate. I'm sorry, yeah. I'll tone it down a little bit. But <laughs> who knew a campfire
2: <laughs> would was, be so
1: good in January? You were
2: trying to, trying to tell us that there was a campfire or a fire pit, but it, the way you came across it sounded like. Oh Lord Jesus, there's a fire!
1: <laughs> there's a fire on her. <laughs> hey, we we've been accused of preaching, and 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 I, I'll week. say guilty on that, and I'll say uh, we'll get ready for some more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll just can't, we're just preaching guy, around the campfire tonight. There was a guy tonight.
2: who shared something just the other day that said that um, he felt like he was listening to just a good Sunday morning sermon or something like that. I laughed. <laughs> the
1: highest it's, of compliments. Yeah, Thank that's you, a sir. pretty good one. Um,
2: <laughs> And so, it. yeah, it's it's good times. I mean, we're we're here, and it is. Uh, oh goodness, when this is gonna? Lead, this is middle of January. Yeah. We'll say middle of January, twenty twenty one. Twelfth, thirteenth, something like something that. Something like that. So, uh, we appreciate you guys joining us for once again. Man, we're coming up on an anniversary for the podcast on year four, maybe something like that. Yeah, man. I, so, uh, I'm losing
1: track of years yeah. right now,
2: and and it's hard to say because we've done we didn't do two. Every week for for at the beginning, so now we do two a week. So we really gained up a lot of. At some point, we did three.
1: Remember, we did that. No, we did three. uh, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast today. We did three podcasts in one week for for I don't know a couple months, and then we were like, yeah, that's not necessary. Yeah. Well,
2: (laughs) I think uh, you know,
1: we're out here. It's
2: thirty degrees, and we're outside. And I think people Beautiful probably night. may think we're crazy because we're sitting out here, but i have spent so much time inside lately that I'm like,
1: Nope, I'll sit outside. I will Just gladly give me a break. do a podcast outside. I yeah. I was uh at the real estate office today and um busy on the phone, on the computer, doing a little bit of plan writing, this and that, and I'm like, you know what? We're doing an outside podcast tonight. I might have to sit, but I at least want to be outside. Yeah. And this fire it's perfect. Smell of smoke, wood burning, crackling. It's warm. You're I mean, kind of hogging I'm, the
2: smoke over there. I am. I'll take it
1: all. Right. But I'll get snotty by the end of the podcast. <laughs> I don't know if I got the big whiff of it or not. But um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm ready to keep hammering away at the all the information regarding uh, this topic. We've hit it a lot, but. I, it's time to hit it again.
2: Oh yeah. And and I think we shared a little bit of that last week when it came to we sometimes get a little repetitive. <clears throat> we get a lot repetitive around here. <laughs> um but I think there's a reason for that. It's because um we we, we tend to forget things um as as a, as a greater whole. As, as, a, as a as a human being in twenty twenty we tend to have a very short attention span and so we typically um get kind of rabbit holed off to something else
1: well and and i think though too at this at this like portion of the year there is a lot of information that just continues to come out um, on certain subjects and while they may sound good and they may sound feasible um and impactful we have to realize that you know the value that they bring or that that the, the, they don't bring. And yep. so that's essentially what the podcast is, is just to just to be that consistent, hey, you know I won't be like the 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 buck stops here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But like, hey, you know, we're all in this thing together. We're all in here to improve the land and make um the habitat as good as we can. So let's let's err on the the, the practices that are going to yield the results. Yeah. And so, not anything else.
2: Podcast two eighty seven
1: Steel before steel. Yes. And by the by the podcast and, and the uh the spelling of the words, the title, if you're looking it up, you're probably like <gasps> I still don't understand. <laughs> steel S T I H L before. Chainsaw. Steel
2: S T E E L. Steel traps.
1: And and I, I can't take credit for that one. That I can't was, either. That was the guest. That's the guest. Mister. So ladies and gentlemen chainsaw
3: chad back on I the can podcast. definitely take credit for that one <laughs> <laughs>
1: well yeah. didn't you think of it while you were running a chainsaw probably <laughs> i mean it's only fitting
2: because, well you've only ran a chainsaw
1: because, for the last 3 months so
2: probably, probably good probably, chance
3: there's a it's a good chance too that that i came up with it while chainsawing because as opposed to you guys with your earbuds and listening to music and
2: and uh, <laughs> you're, podcasts, you're listening books. to the thoughts in your head I,
3: I, I use plain old place. foam earplugs, so I get a lot of thinking done while I'm cutting. Hey, so.
1: I, I multitask. I, I, I do three things too, yeah. or audiobooks. I listen to other things. I still think, and I run a chainsaw. So I don't need yeah. foam plugs to come up with cool sayings like steel versus steel. But yeah. hey, <laughs> his was so.
2: I think Chad, your idea for the title was steel versus steel, and then talking to Frank and Kyle they said the steel before steel.
3: Um, I think it started with steel over steel. That's right. Steel over steel. Or steel steel. instead of steel or something like Mm -hmm. that.
1: That's just confusing. And I should say up front, (laughs) we
2: have no contract with steel chainsaws. No, but if they it reached just, out, <laughs> if they reached out. It'd be a great fit, right? I mean, husky, husky over steel just doesn't. Sound it doesn't
1: great. have the same ring to it.
2: That sounds like a husky dog got caught in trap to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's just a bad day. <laughs> That's a bad day. He limped. We home. ain't talking about he him. He limped home.
2: Yeah. So steel <laughs> before steel, um, you know. Deer season's winding down, it's over for some people, and it's getting ready to be over. In fact, it'll be over this week as this podcast launches, so here in Missouri. Um, and so a lot of guys are going, okay, time to get back after it. What am I going to do? And I just have seen so much recreational trapping, which I want to say upfront that we don't hate trapping. Not at all. At all. In fact, I've done it um and we have there was clients a, who still there was do I done research projects we pretty
3: heavy yeah. because we had more time to yeah. do it or we thought we had more time to do it
2: yeah and 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 so we you know we don't have a problem with trapping at all we're not here to say for you to flag us as anti trappers we are anti bad management decisions when it comes to managing your farm and if you, you, you really, I mean, let's just face it. When we look at land management, what we're trying to do is accomplish the biggest increase in success or increase the potential of our farm as quickly as possible with the least amount of dollars possible. That's my definition of land management and what I'm trying to
1: well, do. Yeah, and I think that you know everyone would be like, yeah, I, I fall into that, that yeah. same category. I would love for that to happen. But I think... It's essentially, just it can be boiled down to: I want to make the biggest impact the most efficient way, and yep. and it's not, it's not spent um, in most situations. I mean, I, I have not been to a property yet where we've been like, okay, habitats, it's there. Like, it's, yeah, you're done. Congratulations, handshake. Move on to the next thing. Yep. I've yet to see one.
2: There, it, it, to me, it is. You get to a property, even my own property. Like, I haven't had time Chad hadn't had the time um to to get it up to where we would say whoa this is a gym like this is this is really awesome
1: there's there's parts where now it's like yeah you would just pretty much just use prescribed fire and, and maintain it but yep there's still more acres to to cover and to address and to um you know constantly improve uh, and, and transform but ninety nine percent of people yeah. listening are are in the same boat of saying, Yeah, my property's not done. Nope. Nope. So and therefore that's why the podcast we're we're having this topic this this, you know, today is, you know, if your property's not done habitat wise Then don't even start with the time wasters. Well again, do it if you if you enjoy it, but don't do it for the reason of yeah. Of, don't of think you're making a huge difference. a population dynamic positively because of this. Yeah. If you enjoy it recreationally,
2: have at it. And if it's and, a and good think, thing for you to do with your kids, yeah, then do it. But but at the same I, time, I don't let the, it interrupt the lot opportunity lot the to really make some big difference. Chad, go ahead. Chad's calling in of, by the way, yeah. we should say. He's yeah. not sitting here, so
3: I'm, I'm inside because I've been outside the last two days freezing my face off on a four-wheeler. So
2: Well, there you go. Ladies I'm that are inside. listening, by the way, Chad has more time than us because he's not married. So And, and if he, you're interested. And he doesn't work
1: anymore because of the government. <laughs> because because <laughs> the government <laughs> shutdowns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're just giving you a hard time. But but what were you saying there, but Chad? No, I,
3: I see a lot of it the trapping more an emphasis on thinking they're making a difference for especially turkeys. That's yeah. the big one yeah. right now. Because yeah. everyone's seeing a turkey decline. And it's it's well I gotta go get some trapping done so I can make a difference for the
0: turkeys.
1: And I and I first off foremost, applaud the the desire to make a change. Yep. For a species that is potentially declining in your area, but but again, if you're going to do that, if you're going to take that time to make a conceded effort, well, will do it where it's going to provide you value and return, not just, you know, waste you, time. You want your
2: return on your investment <clears throat> to be a a good return. I mean, and yeah. sometimes a it's a not even a return, a long term return, <laughs> a long-term return or a, or you can do a you can look at it two different ways depending on what the practice is and. And in this week's podcast it's it's the first part of the steal. It's the first steal of you can get a very quick return, a very long term return, and a return in between.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well I think I think you know, someone's like who who maybe haven't heard, you know, this this thought process before is gonna say, Well well how do you know? And to me it's kinda like, What came first, the chicken or the egg? So so it's like you need habitat from the get-go before before or as an egg or a nest is being built if you're trying to improve turkey numbers well for it to be successful whether there's predators or not like it needs to be in cover yep first and foremost and if you don't have that it's doomed from the start before a predator comes and smells an egg being laid or a, or a hen sitting on the nest like you're toast
3: absolutely well and it's it's important not to lose sight of a healthy ecosystem. I mean that's yes. the most important thing. And it's, a lot
2: of guys you seem have to done lose that.
3: sight. You seem to lose sight and look at the individual the individual populations of, well, they're going to knock out this nest, but in the long run, if, you're, if you had a healthier habitat, healthier ecosystem there, then then it's minimalized.
1: Well, I mean, in, in in the same in the same breath, a healthy ecosystem means that there is a balance of predators and prey on the landscape, interacting with each other the way they should have, the way God designed it. That is a, a, an ecosystem working and functioning properly, not where where there's unnatural. Um, or super inflated game population or prey species um, numbers that are just out of this world. And, you know, you're trying to consistently kill any type of predator you see. That's unhealthy. And at the same token, you shouldn't have predators who are way outnumbering prey. But, yeah, and, and, and I know Kyle and Frank have talked about it on the podcast many times there has been an increase in prey, I mean excuse me predator numbers over the course of you know the last few decades, a lot of things that have, have impacted that and changed that. But at the end of the day, there still has been an incredible amount of habitat decline. And before we start addressing something that that has a range or a four legs that can walk off your property boundary, why don't we manage what's within the property boundary? For sure. I, that, well, not, I think it was uh, that's what you can Kyle, change.
3: I think it was Kyle and Frank that that also, I think they've mentioned in previous podcasts on the fact that our habitat has changed into a habitat that is, is more aimed at producing varmints and predators than it is our our game populations and all of that. It's more aimed at when you look at unmanaged timber, it's it's very great at growing varmint populations when you've got a ton of den trees and tons of Leaf old litter snags on the ground mm-hmm. for denning. I mean, you have that kind of stuff as opposed to warm season grasses and forbs throughout, where there's nesting, nesting habitat, brooding habitat, all of that.
1: All the insects. Yep, yep. And and that that's why, just from a philosophy standpoint, from a management standpoint, Land and Legacy takes the approach of holistic management look at the ecosystem the landscape as a whole and try to find what's missing and provide that balance and, and equilibrium because if something's way out of whack well it's going to have additional impacts to the rest of things like yeah. it's not just a linear deal like it's going to have a trickle down ripple effect across the rest of the landscape yeah. I,
2: so when you speak on that management practices i think of like just in comparison where let's just imagine that I'm a landowner and I go out and I'm on my farm and I see that, oh, there's this patch of weeds in one of my food plots. I'll go mow it and I mow it. Two weeks later I come back and it's grown up Dadgummit. head high again <sighs> and I go and mow it again. I don't think even... Even a person that's not that intelligent, I don't think they would do that for a course of years and years thinking that I've done this I've done this 50 times I'm gonna just keep doing it or I've done this six times maybe I need to change up and do something different Maybe I do need to incorporate some herbicide or there's a there's a tree that keeps growing up in one of my food plots and it's an invasive and I cut it down and next year by golly it's back and it it has. Four stumps or four sprouts
1: instead of the one.
2: (laughs) There's not a person that listens to this podcast that even has a friend that would probably do that for an extended period. But yet, every single year, you see guys headed out in January and February and even March in some places to trap. And they trap hardcore.
1: For the benefit. For
2: the benefit of the turkeys or the birds or the deer. And yet... Let's just say they trap forty predators. And then they turn around and the next year they trap forty predators. And the next year they trap forty predators. And the next year they trap forty predators. But throughout the course of in between trapping season,
1: they're still seeing predators. Well, not only are they still seeing predators, but but within the last decade maybe, I think it's fair to say, after the, the, the bust of the two thousands specifically for turkeys. Within that aggressive trapping and repetitive trapping, guess what? Turkey numbers have still gone down. Yeah. So so you're going to tell me that if you have been trapping through that time frame and turkey numbers are still going down, then then why are you believing to the same degree that trapping is going to solve that problem? And I'm, and I'm not saying that habitat is the absolutely only thing that you should do and it will all come back to the greatest thing ever no but, but it's, you got to start the there. priority and you have to start there before you can begin to think that you're adding value with your time in trying to increase prey species numbers
2: uh, it, it's just it's well, it's so backwards in the fact that there's so many guys i mean there's a lot of properties we work in the year and there's not many of them that we could walk onto and say habitat here is amazing. Just stick with the plan and tweak this now. Let's tweak your hunting strategies. There's not many of those. Most of the places we go are like it's terrible. It's it's bad. You've got work to do. And that even includes parts of our own farm. And and it's just like okay, That's where you start. You don't start by going, "Okay, I bought the farm. Um, I'm going to hunt it a little bit, try to figure out where the deer are at, and then as soon as season's over, I'm going to start trapping." No, that's that's a
1: bad game plan. I think, and it's going to cost you time. I think that it's a, if you will, like a it's a built-in defense mechanism of people just in general to to not put blame on themselves, and so. Well, predators are are easy targets, and it's something that let's say you have hundred percent control or or um, say in what happens to the habitat on a, on your property, but you you don't have as much control with the predators, right? There's only a season. There's only you know they're coming and they're going and this and that. Well, it's them. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on them, and you know they're the blame. Well, I, I <laughs> you don't want to put the blame it- on yourself
3: it boils down to a simple observation a lot of times what i have seen and and talking to just hunters in general you hear well i don't hear i don't see as many turkeys but i hear a ton of coyotes oh yeah that's mm-hmm. a big one i don't mm-hmm. i don't hear any i don't see any turkeys anymore i see a ton of bobcats and and coyotes on my game cameras yeah. or so raccoons that's got to be it my feeders yeah, are loaded up with raccoons. raccoons yeah no yeah, kidding. I have 30 coons on my corn feeders all winter, and it's got to be that there's so many coons that that's why I don't have any turkeys. Yeah. Which, it's it's one of those that I can see people making that observation. Well, for sure. You have to, you have to step back and look at it in the whole realm.
2: Critical think your way through it, and don't make the the caveman observations, like I've, I've said in past podcasts, where... You know, uh, I, I forget what the caveman observation, I think it was cedar trees, when I said, I don't see deer. I turn my head. I see a cedar thicket, and I see deer. Cedar tree's good. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we're out here tonight, and it's it's cold, and I look at the fire, and there's heat, and I say, fire good. Ooh, uh, that's caveman thinking. You should just look through it one dimensionally. And I think, Chad, we've laughed about this before with that same thought process. There's nothing
1: Um, one-dimensional about predator and prey relationships. No, and and
2: nature in general. No. And, um, you know, we trapped hard on the farm for a couple of years. And And it was
3: right about the time that our turkey population started to Our turkey population was
2: on decline. We had really, really wet springs during that period of time where we were trapping hard. And so you could look at it. Now we have what appears to be... Great numbers coming back, and we haven't trapped in four years. And so yeah. if you looked at it from the one-dimensional but a thing. But steel's been
1: running and barking its butt off down there for a while. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 so, and there's been fire like there is tonight on the podcast. Yeah, and, of course, we have burned all
2: through the course oh, yeah. of the last 15 years. But we could look at it and say, well, we trapped hard. Turkey numbers declined. Now we stop trapping. Turkey numbers coming back. Um,
1: uh, trapping's bad for turkeys. Yeah. You, again, it's not it's not a one dimensional linear I'm, thinking that would, would solve that. Caveman wouldn't say that, right?
3: Yeah, I use the same analogy that. for the place we hunt at Lebanon. When people talk about coyotes, I'm like, well, that place is loaded with coyotes.
1: Oh, if there's, there's, if there's theory, a place that I wanted to go and predator hunt, I would go there. For sure. But, but
3: like by, by that same simple observation, we should trap coyotes alive and bring them to the farm and turn them loose because. Mm-hmm. We want more turkeys. Yeah. I mean, <laughs>
1: but, well, yeah. If, if I'm in January with time and I wanted to go predator hunting, I would go there. But but same token, in April, if I wanted to turkey hunt and I had time, you I would want to go, go there. there. <laughs> like, uh, and, and, you know, I can th- – I, I guess I think of all the observations that I've had of, of let's just say, a predator in – hunting season or or just in the field. and again we're, we're, we got to go to like life cycle and traits. 100%, most of them are opportunistic feeders. So if they have an opportunity to take a, a, a game species, let's say deer or turkey, they will. But almost like I would say 95 plus percent of the observations that I can recall of sitting in a deer stand, Observing, watching things just naturally happen—they're pretty much all mousing. Yeah, like a coyote or rabbit hunting. Yeah, like they're yep. cruising an edge, tucking in, or they're mousing in a big, you know, grassy field, pouncing, doing their thing. And I'm like, well, they're not going to find a a turkey in the, in that clump of grass by doing that. Like, yep. and again, I'm not saying that they don't take and kill turkeys. Of course they do. Of course they'll kill a deer too. But
2: if you think that's not going to
1: happen, and that you're going to have the ability to right. change that,
2: that's where you need to look at nature in a big picture, rather than uh, key in and
1: I say appreciate nature, yeah. appreciate the fact um, that there we, is that relationship there.
3: We've all hunted in these type of places, but it's, it's also you see people trapping trapping coyotes in areas that are severely overpopulated with deer.
2: <laughs> so that yeah, one makes me laugh
3: they're yeah. trapping coyotes like crazy and they're saying oh, i'm saving getting rid of fawn nabbers and you're like but you're you, this is totally backwards you're you're trapping the coyotes that are doing the job you should be doing correct so then in, in turn you're allowing more deer to degrade your poor habitat even more so well, it's even worse for your turkeys and everything else we, and we your deer are even that more stressed and that
1: we have done a more. podcast there, Chad, exactly what you're talking about and hitting yeah. on right there of, of basic comparing coyotes and the impact of the landscape that they have versus high deer numbers. And, and obviously come to the conclusion of you're way better off spending time targeting antlerless deer if you have high deer populations than trying to work and worry about predators. Like way more impact. For the species that you're trying be to, enough.
3: it, it, it
1: <laughs> can't. We 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 need to come back to it, especially because there's still at this time people
3: falling into that same, into the same hole.
1: Get it? the trap. They're falling into the trap. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's
3: right. Uh-huh.
2: They're falling hard into the trap.
1: <laughs> they actually they're just... they're caught both feet. <laughs> that's right. Double catch.
3: Double catch. Yeah. Oh, and it I... might be the punny podcast full of puns. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: I had one the other week too. Something about the gate. Opening the gate, I don't remember. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. I, Man, I'm, I don't just, I'm on a roll. Um, it was so good I even forgot what it even was. Even forgot it. Um, and and I think that's a, a a good segue. You know, when we're talking about we t- we're mentioning all this of steel before steel. Like if if it deer season's over and you're looking at a pile of traps and can smell the bait when you open the shed door. And you're looking at your steel chainsaw or husky chainsaw or whatever other chainsaw brand. Um, Just make it a good one would be my advice, (laughs) a sharp one. Uh, And you look at that, you should go, I need to do this before I start that other stuff Because when you look at trapping, Matt, pull up some of as you get your computer out to read some of this great research by, I think it was Dr. Mike Chamberlain and Dr. Brett Collier and collaboration or who was it Ch- chamberlain
1: and then and then some folks out of virginia tech i believe helped on it okay as some well.
2: great research that they did yep and uh, in comparison to you know so we're just going to compare a a month let's just say january 15th february 15th you've got a month there that you can do some work this is my favorite time of the year to do work on a farm Especially the habitat management side, unfortunately. But fortunately, this is Matt and I's busiest time of the year. And so we don't get to do nearly as much as we would like. So hopefully all you podcast listeners we'll are doing it for us. One guy sent us a picture t- today of him uh, running a chainsaw, dropping trees. Nice. And he asked me the question of, you know, is am I going to need to come in and like d- like lightly disc this up like we do in Oldfield? I'm like, no, sir. The sunlight's going to do it for you, and so he, uh, he, you know, that's that's the stuff we enjoy seeing those pictures. Absolutely. Um, And so, if you take a month, January fifteenth, February fifteenth, and you say, "Okay, I'm going to trap hard, or I'm going to run a chainsaw hard," and we're we're looking at short term benefit, long term benefit, and and how we can utilize that to our land management and our farm management decisions. And so you look at, Chad, kind of give us a rundown. When you run a saw for a month, and by that I mean <laughs> we're running a, a chainsaw on Saturday or Friday afternoon if you're working four tens. And so you you maybe run a chainsaw Friday and a little bit on Saturday, basically eight hours a week for four weekends. What do you see happening on the landscape if you're running a chainsaw? Matt, you answered after him.
3: Yep. You're seeing you're seeing daylight coming in i mean like the, the latest project i've been working on is cutting cedars yep and it's it's all of a sudden going from shade and leaves to all of a sudden the sun hitting the ground that's the instant thing and and you've cut i mean you're cutting a lot of smaller shrubby trees a lot of dogwoods. the deer are already in their bedding and eating them on all the ends of all the trees that i'm cutting Yep. Um,
2: There's more, uh, of course. Obviously, more cover for the for rabbits and turkeys immediately. Yeah, with without a doubt. And then so so six months from now, what does it look like?
3: Even better. Six months from now, depending upon the next the next step, Mm -hmm. we're going to burn. Yep. So we're going to eliminate the leaf litter. Off the top, and then it's six months. What would six months from now? July? Oh, it's going to be greening up like crazy.
2: Food everywhere, cover everywhere.
3: Blooming. Yeah, I mean it's going to be great brooding habitat because we're going to burn
1: Bre- brooding and just just general food for. Uh, just about anything. A, a rabbit. Well, yeah. no, there's food there. Turkey. There's well, going to be a there. buzz because there's going to be insects there. Yeah, absolutely. All, all all of that. I mean, I think. And 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 another. You know. We've all run chainsaws for a lot of years and are very comfortable with it. But if you are to ask me, eight hours every single week of running a chainsaw, for for four weekends. Well, number one, if if it was just let's say. Two people running a chainsaw, one one of us, you know, or let's say, excuse me, two of us, if for eight hours, so essentially 16 man hours, we're talking four, five, six acres if we're just clear cut stuff. We could clear cut that much. I know
3: a guy did a lot of cedar slashing, and he told me a full day of cedar slashing, he could knock out five acres in a day. and that
1: One was, man after it. That is very I mean and obviously there's there's dependent upon, you know size, stem density, density all that stuff. Yeah. But regardless It burned through. It did burn through. I I, I were you know, my mindset is I want to work in acres. And and that that figure is clear cutting. Like that's not T S I. If it was yeah. T S I on a medium scale, I want to burn through ten or twelve acres. Yeah. Like, and, we're going to so motor through that stuff.
2: A month of time, Ooh. and you've got immediate food on the ground for for several species of wildlife. And then at the same time... You know, that was 10 or 12 acres a day
1: with yeah. two people.
2: And then, fast forward, and you're looking at July, and there's food everywhere, cover everywhere. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Five me. years from now,
1: that work is still benefiting the wildlife. Well, I can tell you this much. if If that work... Hadn't been done. It would still be just as crummy, or if not, a little bit more worse. crummy, yep. than what it was. It's hard to get worse than just flat out closed canopy forest. It's hard but, to get worse
2: than terrible. Yeah, you know, unless you want to oh. call Charles Barkley horrible.
1: Oh. Well, you, I mean, you, you're just increasing the amount of sticks and leaves on the ground like yeah the quantity of terrible is, is probably just multiplied. probably have more invasives yeah that too that too um so it's like you know that work it does just keep on giving back more and more each and every time uh, or each and every time you cut but you know i just i just think of the value of that time with the chainsaw in the hand and having a clear mission as to how i'm going to utilize that time no more analysis paralysis this is the time to get out there and okay. cut and drop trees. You're mm-hmm. probably not going to cut too many trees. Don't worry if you do. Yep. More 80, stuff will grow back. Management, baby. Absolutely. You
2: got to look at it and go cover the ground. Okay. What's the What's the goal here? More sunlight, more cover, more food. And we had this with a with a landowner recently. And do not let me forget to do to jump over to, to the month long trapping so we can finish out that okay. thought. But. Um, we had the question, we're standing in the middle of an area that we're going to lay out as a bedding thicket or a micro clear cut. And his question was, so this tree right here, should I hinge cut this tree or should I flush cut it? What should? And it's like if, if you're standing here in the middle of a bedding thicket area trying to think and look at this and process through it, you're already messing up. 80 grit. Who cares? The goal is to cut it. Well, The goal is sunlight. So yeah. don't waste time on trying to figure out exactly how you're going to do it when it's going to slow you down and prevent you from getting
1: big-scale management done. Huh. So just cut it. I've had that same exact conversation, uh, and I'm, I'm not exactly like three times this week with, with folks, of like we're, we're worrying too much about it because I guarantee you outside of that acre-and-a-half unit that is flagged and marked— there's 15 white oaks in that one direction. I don't care oh. about I don't care about the ones that are mass producing tree in the acre because now you're creating something that is a limited resource. Yeah. I, I you have beyond like way too many trees yeah. and and they're suffocating even where they're growing at. So yeah. they're not even like you're caring about the 15 over there that are in poor shape but aren't even good producers, but yeah. this one right here Death is death, Yeah, whether you're going to
2: cut it down and kill it here or you're going to think you're saving it over there and it's going to die because of suffocation and too many stems per acre over there.
1: Death is death. I've I've also said this one uh, many times. I haven't yet to have a client, I probably will say the same for you without checking, that has ever come back and said... I cut too much, rats. Yeah, most of the time they Badgummit.
2: say, "Well, that was pretty powerful. I'm going to go cut more." W- yeah, is that w- okay? Can I
1: expand it or can I add more? Sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between a micro clear cut of two acres and then saying, "Well, I'm going to do ten acres." Then it's like, "Yeah," but the- then the travel and bedding is not as defined. Correct. There is there is thought to the chaos. Yes,
3: yes. and uh, I think it would. I think it would shock some of these people to. Have like the other day, Adam, when you and I were cutting, to have watched us cut and how little we thought about each tree we cut. Yeah. I it's don't like, I like don't how, spend... How little thought we put into it. Well, like, we're, how, we're nope extremely cut. decisive. Nope nope. Well, but, and, like,
2: and when you say how little thought, you also got to remember, listeners, that there's not a... That we walk up to a tree and within five seconds, and usually it's from the walk from the, the tree we tree. just cut to the next tree... We're looking at it going, tree is this species, it's this healthy, or it's good that, or bad. Or,
1: or it's that crummy.
2: <laughs> and so basically it's like, okay, there's white oak, pretty straight, looks like crop tree, leave. And I'm walking cut. over almost like a robot, and I look and I say, okay, there is spice bush right, right next to it that's, that's kind of misshaped. It's growing underneath the drip line. I would rather that be cut. Cut. By the time I get there, I've already got my mind made up on what's happening to it.
1: Well, they like, cut. Yeah, as soon as as soon as the tree is felled or or falling in a safe direction, your head picks up. You find the next target. You evaluate it on the five steps, ten steps to go and do it. By the time you get there, your mind better be made up, and that's how you just move throughout areas fast. And that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. But but the same thing is, you should not be spending. I don't care at what level you're at. Most likely, you shouldn't be spending more than thirty seconds looking at it to evaluate it. If you are, you're thinking too much. If
2: you if you walk all the way around that tree with your head up and you just keep looking at,
1: you're (laughs) you're taking too long. It's taking too much of your life. Cut it down.
2: (laughs) If you don't know, then maybe walk away. And,
1: And I realize that, like you know, we're talking, you know, generally speaking, clear cut situations. If you're doing more, um. I don't want to say sensitive, but if you're doing more delicate, like a lighter TSI, sure, evaluate trees from yeah. a, from a timber standpoint. But if you're trying to just improve the general forest, you need to be able to critically look at a tree and move on fast. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so you talk about going back to so the thought.
2: We did a month a month of of hardcore chainsawing right there, and you know we what we laid out was immediate results for both food and cover. More defined bedding. So hunting, hunting is improved. Um, there, there you go. You guys might hear a little background noise. That's the fire. We put sticks across it and they burn half, or, and they They're eventually burn job. through. So we basically get to sit here and watch a fire. Oh, this is like nice. hog heaven right I here. Um, and so we've talked about immediate cover, immediate food. We talk about um, not only. Um, Benefit to the deer, but also benefit to the turkeys for nesting. Uh, there's better rabbit habitat. Rabbitat, uh, if it's in conjunction with uh, an area that already has quail, and it's close enough, they might even utilize it, depending on how what the size of these micro clear cuts running a chance all mm. would do. Or edge feathering. We didn't even mention that. I if know. you're doing edge feathering with the steel, you're just, you're killing it, man. You're killing it. Yeah, And the edge
3: feathering stuff, talking about quail. Something that I remember Frank and Kyle telling me years ago in a study that if there are quail there, they find the down trees within like an afternoon.
1: Oh man! That's so a, that's awesome. That's a really
2: awesome. So you think about it, and if you're whether you're doing edge feathering, TSI, FSI, bedding, thicket creation, you're also benefiting your hunting strategy um, overall. From short-term benefits to long-term benefits, you're killing it, and you're doing great stuff. Now shift that and say, And you had something you wanted to add to that, well, man? No, I ahead. saw you back with a big yeah. breath of air.
1: I'm getting ready to go after, but go ahead.
2: Okay. Um, now shift that from running the steel, I-H-L, to the steel, E-E-L, steel traps. And we're headed out with dog proofs and... Cage traps and coyote trap, footholds, dirt holes, flat sets, all the stuff. And you're doing that for eight hours, same schedule, same man, same landowner A that we're talking about, Tom Dicker Harry. We're not sure what his name is, but it's one of those three. Harold. And he says, um, Harold's a golfer. Tom <laughs> Dicker Harry's a landowner. Um <laughs> And sure. so,
1: Sounds like a car salesman. <laughs> He's working on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and so you got Saturday and or Friday afternoon, and you're running about eight hours a week. You don't have any more time than that. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: let's imagine that you have those eight hours a day or a week, and so you're trying to get to the farm Friday night, run your traps, set your traps, get them all set up, and then run them on Saturday morning and Sunday morning. So you have two trap nights. Two trap nights for the course of a month.
1: So eight trap nights.
2: Yeah, eight trap nights. The math
1: sucks. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) I mean, guys, if you're falling for this,
2: whoever's feeding this to you, you need to reevaluate. Because and then and then and then take the right hand or left hand depending on and reach way back towards the back of your head. Like way back, three foot behind your head, and then move it forward quickly, hard enough to knock your hat I think off they get it. <laughs> and and knock some sense into yourself because this is bad management. This is well, poor. This is it's, not
1: it's poor decision making it's, for sure. It's bad.
2: And if you enjoy it, that's one thing. But if you think you're making a difference, don't fool yourself.
1: Yeah. I, I uh I guess my 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 thought process was going to and this is just I guess a, a life thing uh, that can be applied to life in general especially right now but it's like control what you can control. And so again going back to you your property you can't control anything. <laughs> you have oh, we're talking you have land. Control, okay. Yeah. You have control over the habitat. And and so when I when I change subjects here and, and talk about coyotes for a second you have zero control over their habitat selections, their their ranges, um, their patterns, and these numbers. We've shared them in the past on podcasts, but you're gonna it's gonna be eye-opening. I'm gonna read this from the the study that we that we mentioned earlier. Um, But anyhow, we know there are two types of coyotes, residents and transients. Residents maintain territories that average about 7 square miles, whereas transients move across the landscape looking for open territories, typically using more than 25 square miles. Some of these transients traveled hundreds of miles before either dying or finding a territory. We found that when a resident was shot, trapped, or otherwise killed, a transient quickly the void, which we all know and are aware of. But think days or a few weeks, not a month's time frame. We also noted that more than 35% of the coyotes on the landscape were transients, which has significant impacts to managers who are attempting to trap or remove coyotes. If If you remove a transient coyote, You've done nothing to impact the local dynamics of the coyote population relative to influences on deer or other species. If you remove a resident, rest assured, a transient will quickly fill the void. Mm. In other who wrote studies, that? yeah, I, it was part of the research. I'm, I'm okay. not exactly sure with within that within the research. So, um, but I am that? was on
2: QDMA website or QDMA. It was Yes, I, I believe it was
1: Michael Chamberlain. Article.
2: Okay, Michael Chamberlain and probably crew of researchers, oh, yes, correct? University PhD, of Georgia yeah. wrote their article, and it was in Quality Whitetails. Yes, and it was a masterpiece. Go on.
1: So another another one to uh, as they were developing the the research parameters for the study. Previous studies had basically had had done coyote research in the eastern U.S. and occurred on small study areas. <coughs> Keyword: small study areas. Hundred to 150 square miles. We learned in North Carolina that coyote populations function on much larger spatial scales in excess of 2,500 square miles. Yeah. So, again, I'm no rocket scientist, but if you have 7 square miles, 640 acres for a square mile, that's 42, 50... You know, wow, yeah, you're way on up there, 4,800, well, no. 4,500 square, or 45,000 square miles, excuse me, no. not square miles, acres. Yeah,
2: 45,000 acres. For, many. For,
1: for a resident coyote. Yeah. yeah, on average. 25 square miles on average for a transient.
2: And 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 so, we can I just,
1: mean, do you want to end, end the podcast that, there? That, or what? that right there <laughs> is like, okay, <laughs> so
2: you you run traps for a month. You've got basically eight trap nights. Yeah. And and the guys that do the trapping probably have a little more. They they do a little bit more. Try to be there, whatever. Take a little vacation time. Sure, run some traps.
1: Sure. But in general, Or or, yeah. or, I mean, or you're or, the, or you're paying someone to, do, to it. do it for a week for a week straight. Yep. Um, come in, make, pound it out. But again, if you have thirty five percent of the population on a, on on a given property or given area that's transients, if you're in for a <laughs> not week, not even be on that side of their. Remember, on their home range. They have during 25,000 the... square mile. I mean, 25 yeah. uh, square mile range. Like, yeah. good they may Lord, show there.
2: up and, sm- and smell the scent and be like, something happened while I was gone. <laughs> right, right.
3: But uh, I'm, and I'm back, just, and he ain't here. To, to me, the, the biggest difference is five years from now. I mean, that that's the thing to me with the, the trapping versus the steel versus the steel. Five years from now. You go into what what I've cut in the last month. Yep, it's going to be pretty good habitat. Oh, for sure. If we, if if I walked away from it right now, five years from now, it would be pretty decent habitat.
2: Now, uh, absolutely. And so, like, think about it. Okay. So we said immediately after running the chainsaw, you're going to notice results. Well, immediately after trapping, you'd likely notice some results if you trapped many. Two weeks later, you probably aren't going to notice anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't and you it the, definitely
2: the four months later you would not notice anything most likely, and and the problem is, a lot of people trapping are trapping during the winter months, and if you really were going to make a, the biggest difference in the world. Uh, of predator-prey relationships and using trapping to help prey species, the biggest benefit you would have is trapping through the fawning and nesting season. Correct. When those animals are most susceptible. And most of us don't get to trap during that window of time. By the time, if we trap hard during December, January, February, or uh, I think here in Missouri, it ends in January... Um, mm-hmm. The end of January. From the January 30th, I so if you start trapping in November, January, Feb- or November, December. December, January, by April, you're not probably going to notice much of a difference in in, the, in predator numbers. Yeah, even especially if you're with coyotes, successful. they're
1: coming back in. It might take raccoons a little longer. I mean, we're talking a, a dramatic lands- landscape effect that would have to take place to see a neighborhood, a region, a portion of a state and there's just not the resources, manpower to do that period. Nope. And and we can well, wish I'm, it, we can hope it, but but the other thing that I re- I keep going back to in my my own head is so what are the numbers?
2: Like I like, I want you to pull your computer back out cuz there's okay. another part of that research I want you to read because I know <laughs> a lot of guys use these trapping techniques to to remove predators and it's been, it's important to relate transient versus residential in in how they navigated through the property. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll uh, pull it back out in a second,
1: but I, I, I there there the are there are ways to estimate prey populations on properties through trail cameras and everything because of the home ranges and they're much smaller and you can document them. You can you know there's compilations out there to to be able to estimate. You know, generally speaking, what the um, what the deer herd is on a property, right? Well, tell me, someone, what the what what should the population be of coyotes on a property, and then tell me how you would estimate that. To then say how many coyotes you should appropriately remove or not. Yeah. Well, again, they're not at a scale at which they don't operate on a scale at which you can accurately yep. judge that. Because your property is different from the neighbor's property, they may have this giant range, but they might spend more time on your property than the other property. Does that mean you need to harvest more, or like, wh- where's the balance? Do you have yeah. too many? Do you not? Or do you just see more? Like, and and one me. one
2: phrase because of that, people would say, "Kill them all." <laughs> that's the rule. If you see one, kill one. Yeah. And and that's like, I mean. It, if you want to understand someone's whole picture view of predator-prey relationships, ask them how you should how many coyotes should be removed in a year. And if they say kill them all, then they don't understand uh, the landscape and the and the flora and fauna very well. Um, well,
3: and even with coyotes and say coons and possums, you know, you said you may be able to make a knock the population down a little bit, it may last a little longer. What good does it do if you could kill all of the coons and possums so that you have nests, hatch, but then the broods have to travel to find brooding habitat, and they die anyway?
2: Very true. If you haven't done the work
3: to... Yes. Like to... If you've spent your whole time trapping instead of cutting, yep. or putting in fire line, I think it was... I, can't, I wish I could remember the study that I read on the prescribed burning. It was a lightning season burn where they saw coon activity in that area almost eliminated after the burn. Huh.
2: So basically, after the burn, the raccoons didn't go into that area.
3: Yes. Well, No, in, it was a lightning season burn because it was so, one... Which is was,
2: that late spring, early summer type burn window, correct? Yes. In uh, that research. And so... You know, that's one way if you want to naturally uh, try to deter raccoons from being on the on the property or in parts of the farm. The other one Kyle and Frank discuss a lot is removing those those corridors of tall trees that just kind of shoot out through the middle of an old field to where they can run Head out draws. there and, and climb them up and yeah. climb up those trees to escape rac- uh, coyotes. Yeah. And so if you want to... Really, you know, there's ways to manage raccoons that don't involve trapping in a more in a much bigger window. It's like you could try to trap them going to their home or escaping their home, or you could
1: just completely remove their home or their escape plan. Uh, and and so, make an environment less conducive to a predator being successful or just spending time on the landscape.
2: Really, a lot of people are managing their farms in a way that's that's trying to enhance predator. Um, habitat
1: unbeknownst to them
2: uh, yeah and and they should be managing it to, and and it's the exact opposite like it's not good for brood green habitat it's not good just year-round habitat to where they can survive on it the prey species but it's exact opposite for the coyotes and the other predators is like uh they can do really well in this habitat so
1: so speaking on that one I read of research um, sent out through Virginia is basically deer populations in western, west of the Blue Ridge. And just talked, you know, real briefly about collaring fawns and then looking at predation rates. And um, I believe it was they had about 44 collared fawns throughout a, a study area. Um, about 21, or 22, I think, were predated upon, they estimated. Yeah. But we're also talking, generally speaking, in. Western Virginia, which is a lot of national forest. Actually, these these were done on WMAs, um, but anyhow, mixture of habitat, but a lot of just big wood stuff. Yeah. Um, but another another thing that talk about on on the research side of the thing, two points to be made. Transients. This is again back to the research. Um, transients used pretty much all habitats, but showed a strong selection for roads as they used. Um, them for moving and navigating the landscape. So transients use the road systems. On the other hand, residents avoided roads and showed a strong selection for open and agricultural habitats. (laughs) How many people do
2: you see that that promote trapping, that give the advice of of trap on the roadways? This is the quickest way to catch predators. (laughs) Trap the roadways.
1: Absolutely. And... What else would you do? That's what you do. I mean, you're trapping mostly. So you're highly selecting a transient. Not that residents don't travel roads. Yeah, but that research showed that there was a strong selection for roads. I mean, think about it. If you're if you're if you're a transient, it's the easiest path. You don't know every little habitat detail that a resident would know. So yeah, you're probably going to stick to you're the roads. You're it out basically. Absolutely. You're just path traveling of least resistance. Traveling roads. <laughs> don't want to
2: get your hind end kicked from a from a dominant male sure. that's going to run you out of his territory and so you're just trying to pass through and find a spot that you can call home possibly mm-hmm. and you know if if but you're
1: trapping roads and it's just like this is what i'm doing you're selecting that 35 percent of yeah. coyotes that are transients in the population that have 25 square mile home exactly. ranges <laughs> exactly
2: like, it oh. doesn't make any sense Shooting yourself in the foot again. And, and, and uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm blown away at how much time people spend trapping when they should be running a chainsaw or they should be doing some prescribed fire line prep or or doing some dormant season discing. They should be removing yeah. invasives.
1: Well, you, in, you in, should, uh. in, in in addition to the, the research, they also were monitoring and collecting scat from coyotes and then doing DNA sampling um, on what was in the scat And so another observation was, second, less vegetation density, so more open, less dense, thick, the brambles, the shrubs, the grasses, forbs, what have you. So less vegetation density translates to deer showing up more in coyote diets. Go figure. So the less cover... Yes. the more deer were predated on Correct. by coyotes. So another thing, it makes complete sense if you look at the landscape from a coyote's perspective. Coyotes were primarily a Midwestern species that used open environments before their range expanded eastward. So these coyotes, they're, they're used to opening, hunting, uh, or, or hunting in open landscapes based on body, based on their senses and how they hunt. So if they're matched in an open more open landscape, they're going to fare pretty well yeah. so so well, denser cover think... is going to decrease the actual amount of predation on those on deer species is what they found.
3: That could also lead you to think about why you know you, we talk about the hunters observing so many coyotes. Well think about. While you while these people are deer hunting and seeing all these cows that make them think they're overloaded with coyotes, where do a a large percentage of the people hunt? Food plots, if they're crop hunting fields, in big timber, field they're edges. hunting roads, and trails that have scrape lines on them. Yeah, or they're hunting food plots. What else do those areas have? Those are probably the most open areas that have the most chance that they're being covered for small game like rabbits and mice. Yeah, small animals like that. So. Those, anim- those predators will follow those. They'll go the edges of the openings in the food plots. They're going the roads the same way because that's where a majority of the food is. Yeah. So let's talk so a it. little bit. You
2: know, That's very great points, Chad. Um, you get a cookie. You, you get a cookie next <laughs> time I see you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll give you a new chainsaw chain. <laughs> I was
1: just thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'll give you foam earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you USB. Bluetooth. Bluetooth earplugs. <laughs> There's a great podcast out there. I don't know if you've heard of it. Called called Laying the Legacy, but you could listen no. to it while you're on your chainsaw. I, th- yeah,
2: I thought you were going to say, because I think one thing that we all three have in common when it comes to podcasts, we you all listen is. to the Unashamed podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chad,
1: you're listening to that now?
3: Yeah, I'm That's listening to it too. good. Yeah. Good. good I stuff.
2: I love that thing, man. Yeah. Um so how do we go about managing predators on our own place? Um because understanding and knowing we'll when we need you to in manage years? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we'll tell you what works for us. We don't waste our time on it cuz we don't have enough time to do it. But I think it's crucial to note that we're not foolish enough to to believe that that our deer are protected from coyote predation because we have no. quality cover or our turkeys are protected from raccoon nest predation because we have quality cover. No, we're not gonna fix nature's natural cycles and nature's natural design. Two or three. And years I wanna ago say nature, I mean God's design. We we saw bear scat that had a, a fawn's hoof in it. Which we thought was cool. Nature. I remember going, Boy, that's cool. I wasn't
1: like, ah like, oh, dang, that was my fu- future in well, and, and Crockett and I think as we were recording, Chad, you actually were going into. You walked to the edge of the food plot where you had previously cut, and you jumped another fawn. Yeah, yeah. Like while we were recording the the, the video, yeah. it's like
2: <laughs> you can't. You're never going to stop. This up. You're never going to prevent predators from eating prey. No, you're never going to prevent. People from being evil; <laughs> we're no. all evil by design. And so, um, what not we gonna. do, what Chad and I have talked about, is a solid, a single coyote most likely is not going to be able to run down an adult deer, unless that adult deer is, is injured or has some sort of genetic defect that's not allowing it to be full, healthy specimen of white-tailed deer, which we don't want those genetics to be passed down anyway. So basically, solitary coyotes, single coyotes, really don't upset me anymore. When I see them running in packs, so the question that we get a lot is like, well, what happens if one of them comes by your tree stand and you're hunting? Well, we may shoot it, we may not, but if it's a single one, I probably don't get too upset about it anymore. Um... And and Chad, you had a, a hunt with Dad this this gun season where you guys saw one, and Dad asked about shooting it, and you were like, "No, we're not going to." And I'm sure he was like, we, "What happened to you guys?" We had
3: Dad and I have had multiple encounters with coyotes this year. Yeah, and we've yet we've yet to even try. They haven't been. If if they would have been a really pretty one that we wanted to mount or something, we might have killed it. Yeah, but that we're not going to kill it just to kill it.
2: Yeah, kill it, throw it in the ditch. Yeah. <laughs> which is what happens to a lot of them. And so, um that's where I guess trying to answer some people's questions is we don't really shoot them unless they're in a pack and it's like, okay, they're coming by. You know, we'll shoot the pretty one so we can tan the hide or mount it. Um but it's not like we go out of our way to hunt coyotes, trap coyotes because they're not a problem on our farm. Um because we've managed the habitat and and before we ever start dissecting and try to understand and figure out if we need to manage the predators first we got to get the habitat to where it's at least quality habitat so we can check that off the list of saying at least
1: I don't have to worry about that being the problem well, I think you just you no. need to you need to cover the basis of am I giving am I legit giving quail turkeys, poults, fawns am I giving them a chance on the property and if you are, And you're having horrible fawn recruitment rates, let's look into it. Yeah. If the habitat's in place. But but uh, I can uh, promise uh, you it's probably not gonna be that. Same, you know, if you have quality habitat, your predation rates probably aren't going to be sky high. Yeah. You still may see predators, but guess what else is on the landscape and way more? The (laughs) lagomorph family. Rabbits, mice, voles, rodent, like Everything else is I'm in more our, abundance.
3: Our probably biggest goal in managing predators is establishing the healthiest ecosystem we can. That's that's been that's become our goal. Give them something else philosophy. philosophy.
2: Yeah. yeah, give them something else. The healthy.
3: healthiest ecosystem that we can get, and and you know we've only done a portion of what is planned, and I would say we're starting to see some benefits, wouldn't you?
2: Oh, totally. There's rabbits. You know, a lot of our cameras that are on the edge of food plots that have had edge feathering and some TSI in in conjunction or old field management close by. There's there's it's no coincidence that we get a lot of what appear to be false images, but in cl- looking in closer detail, is there's a lot of rabbits bouncing around. It's like oh, there's rabbits here, and and they're active enough that they're causing our trail cameras to be set off. That's not a
1: coincidence. Yeah.
3: Well, and I walked into the food plot this summer and saw five rabbits in the one food plot,
1: like well, we we started the podcast on it. Chad, you just brought it back up. It's just the the philosophy of the the principles of ecology and managing natural populations, and any any good land manager knows that there's equilibriums out there within predator prey relationships within. You know every aspect of of um, just biology and the natural world, and I you know why why would we look elsewhere besides create the equilibrium, create the balance that it should naturally be occurring by doing and offering vegetation of diverse you know heights, compositions, um, species, and. Really, the it just works itself out. Like it's it's not even it's not even an issue. It's not even something that you think or you know would would keep you up at night. Like if if the habitat is in balance and you have all these different vegetation types, plant communities to support songbirds, the rodents, the rabbits, the squirrels, the turkeys, the quail, the deer, the bears, the coyotes, the coons, possum, everything. Well, then it's just gonna work itself out, and it's gonna like retain itself in, in in let's say a more equal state. You're not gonna have these drastic increases in you know populations of prey. Well, no, because there's probably predators there. Well, you're not gonna have these drastic you know increases in in um predators. I say pre- I mean prey because excuse me predators because well like. You have quality habit. like it, it. just it. You have all these different balances and checks and balances set in place because of a balanced habitat and a functioning and ecosystem.
3: I mean, we've we've said from the start too on our place. Our goal is to never let our deer population get to a ridiculous point. Yeah. We're going to keep it lower. That's the goal, and that's. I mean, it's that falls right in line with it. Is. We're not going to let them get to that point. We may not see deer every time we hunt. They may not sit on food plots and see 40 deer. But we also know that we aren't overpopulated with them. Yeah. And they're it's... not damaging our habitat and eating all the food that other things could eat.
1: And therefore, there's adequate cover around in, in addition. And I, and I think, honestly, that, just, that probably sums up the points. Really well. Do you guys have anything else to add to no. those? Steal before steal. Start a chant. i may go around to channel. steal tomorrow. Hashtag steal, tomorrow steal before steal. Don't steal it. Oh gosh, there's another one. Another don't pun. Did it. you like that? Don't steal it. Another way to spell it. But anyhow, <laughs> I, <laughs> see, he laughed. Yeah. He don't laughed. Steal it. <laughs> what are you referencing something? <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, elections, hashtags, whatever. Yeah. So steal before steal, work the habitat, be smart. Don't overthink it. Eighty grit it out. Yeah. Hopefully grid. you guys
2: enjoyed it and I want to see pictures. Of you guys running chainsaw this winter. Safety Man. gear on. Go check out a YouTube channel. Yep. Go check out our social media. There's a lot of stuff dropping. We're doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> We're consulting a lot of places. We thank you guys once again for joining us and and getting through this other toe-stomping,
1: habitat-preaching podcast. (laughs) You're out tomorrow on a new property. I'll leave Sunday for a property in North Carolina, and then think we both hit Oklahoma next week, too. You're in Oklahoma, too. Later yep. in the week, yeah. I'll be in central Oklahoma next
2: week on a couple of properties. So Sweet. Fun times, man. It's getting ready to yep. fire up. We're going to be on the road quite a bit. <clears throat> Chainsaw Chad, appreciate you being on here. Anytime. All right, guys. We'll Thanks see again. We'll see you next week. Actually, we'll see you over on podcast number two. Yeah.